let's talk about a focused physical assessment of the musculoskeletal system. So our assessment techniques that we use to complete a focused MSK assessment is uh, primarily inspection and then a little bit of palpation also. So what exactly are we assessing during, um, during this focused assessment? And I'm just gonna talk about the physical assessment portion. Uh, so we're looking at a few things, right? We're looking at posture, at gait, at bone integrity, at joint function, muscle strength and tone, and then we're also looking a little bit at, you know, their skin and neurovascular status for a, a, a few more hints. So now let's break down each of those things a little bit further. So with posture, this is going to be a visual inspection, right? And some key terms that we might be looking at, and I'm, you know, I'm not talking about me slouching over my phone right now to record this little podcast. I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> does this person have, um, have posture that is affected by uh, conditions such as kyphosis, lordosis, and scoliosis? Those are our two main ones, or two, my goodness, our three main ones. So let's talk about that. Kyphosis, otherwise known as hunchback, this is when we have increased forward curvature of the thoracic spine. So remember the thoracic spine is our, we start with our cervical, right? That's the, the, the vertebrae that are in our neck. And then the thoracic is kind of in our chest, lumbar is in our low back, and then sacral is down at the base of our spine, right? So when we have increased forward curvature of the thoracic spine, that's when we can develop this hunchback appearance. I always think of the grandma, or the grandma, I don't think she's a grandma. I always want to call her a grandma, apparently, but of the, you know, the mean old witch that the, um, that the lady turns into in uh, Snow White. It's obviously been a while since I've seen that, since I can't remember anybody's name, but, you know, that cartoon character with her poison apple and you think about like how her back actually comes up around her head. Now obviously it's not always not always that extreme, although I have seen some pretty pretty uh uncomfortable looking cases. But that's our kyphosis is our our hunchback. Now lordosis, uh this is otherwise known as swayback. So with this one we have an exaggerated curvature of the L spine, so of the lumbar vertebrae. So I always think of L for lordosis, L for L-spine, right? So we get that sway back appearance. Finally, we have scoliosis, and this is that lateral curving of the spine. This can happen, you know, um, anywhere in the spine, and we have very different, uh, you know, grades of it. Sometimes people have very severe scoliosis, um, you know, where one shoulder looks like it sits a lot lower than the other. Some people might have to have that surgically repaired. Um, other people have kind of milder degrees of scoliosis and they really don't, uh, you know, do any, any type of correction for that. But those are the three main types of posture that, um, that I'm asking for um, when, when we talk about visual inspection of the MSK. When we think about gait, um, this is one that we may or may not be able to assess with our patient depending on what's going on. You know, if they're in bed and they're on bed rest and they can't get up, we might not get to assess their gait. Now, I don't typically ever make people get up and walk in the middle of a head to toe, but you know, later if I take them to the bathroom or help them with something else, uh, that might be a good opportunity to assess their gait. But we're looking for things like, are they shuffling? Um, you know, are they limping? Are they guarding? Do they have, you know, a, a gait that is specific to 
a condition that they have so maybe like a hemiplegic gait from a stroke um do they have that uh um well i mean like so i already mentioned it but shuffling is a great example of you know we tend to associate that with uh parkinson's right so sometimes we can tell a lot about a patient and maybe what condition that they um, might be experiencing just depending on on that gait. So that's a nice a nice again inspection visual clue of what might be going on. When we think about observing someone's bone integrity, that might kind of be a weird thing to think about because it's like, well, bone integrity. How in the world am I going to be able to do that assessment by just looking at a person, right? Like, wouldn't that be some sort of special, you know? x-ray or radiol, you know, how, how in the world do I know anything about their bone integrity? So we're just talking about the obvious things that we would be able to see. So any abnormal bony growths, um, you know, if somebody had a very large bony tumor, you might be able to see that. Um, and, and depending on where it's located, these things might be more obvious, right? Like if somebody had an abnormal bony growth on a skull, that's probably going to be easier to see than if somebody, you know, had like a osteochondroma or something growing out of their, their femur, right? <clears throat> uh, shortened extremities and amputations, we, we should be able to see those, you know, just by, just by looking, right? Especially uh, an amputation. Um, so that is just gonna, you know, again, a lot of times it's, we don't necessarily know exactly what's wrong when we look at a person but we just know it's not an expected finding right so if we see that somebody has an amputation um we can ask about it you know i you know what what happened to your leg um and then we might find out oh i was in a motorcycle accident or i had a wound that wouldn't heal so again it's all just kind of clues as to other medical situations that the person may have had uh, another clue for, for bone integrity for us is crepitus. So crepitus is the crack, popple, snap, crack, snapple, pop, I don't know, whatever you want to, the rice crispy sound, right, that comes in joints. Um, we might hear those in knees, shoulders, you know, when people get up and walk across the room, those first few steps, they might have all those little popping sounds and all of that. Um, so crepitus is just a, the noise that's associated with it. It's not like, um, uh, so like it in and of itself is not, um, I'm trying to think of a way to say this. Like somebody's probably not gonna be like, oh, I was diagnosed with the crepitus, right? It's not, it's not gonna be something like that. It's an associated finding, right? Um, and then, of course, fractures, if we saw an obvious fracture, if you want to learn more about fractures, there's a, there's a podcast for that. Uh, joint function, this is going to be something that might be a little bit of both inspection and, um, you know, we might, might be looking at uh, um, some palpation with this too. But one of the first things that we would want to look at is the person's range of motion. So we've got two different types of range of motion. We have active range of motion and passive range of motion. So active range of motion means that this person is able to move those joints without my assistance or your assistance, right? So if we say to a person, you know, can you raise your arm up over your, your head? And they're able to do that independently. That is active range of motion. 
passive range of motion means that I had to assist them to do that or that you did, right? So they're unable to do that movement on their own, but the joint will still move like that. It just requires somebody else to assist with that. So if you have somebody who does have, um, you know, let's say they're laying sedated, um, you know, hooked up to a vent or something like that, it's a very good practice for us to go in there and perform passive range of motion, uh, you know, to keep the joints moving, keep keep everything working as it should, right? Um, prevent blood flow, or prevent blood flow, my goodness, prevent blood clots, encourage and promote blood flow back to the heart. So passive range of motion is actually an important nursing intervention for us. Um, an effusion is when we have um, just excessive fluid within the joint. So that could be, you know, related to an injury. Um, most of the time that's, that's when, you know, when we would see an effusion, but that would be something that, again, we would just be able to visually observe and it would just look like swelling, right? Um, so deformity, this is again, something where we are observing this and we're not talking about, you know, like a shortened extremity or an amputation. We're talking about an actual deformity to the joint. So examples of that might be um, contractures. And this is when you have either um, a shortening, well, not either, but it is a shortening of either the muscle or a ligament. So, you know, if you have a contracture of the wrist, it might look like the hand is kind of drawn up towards the, the arm, or you'll see contractures of elbows where it just looks like, you know, it's always flexed. Um, contractures can be very painful uh, if we try to move them. And really the goal for those is, is hopefully to prevent them uh, before they start. So we want to try to make sure that we're keeping, you know, hands and legs and feet and all of that stuff in functional position to prevent those contractures from happening. Um, additionally, we have dislocations and subluxations. So these, again, are going to be something we can see, but are also going to affect the ability of that joint to function normally or function as we would expect it to. So a dislocation is when we have you know, I mean, we hear like, oh, out of socket, right? Um, so when the, when you have two bones meeting in a joint and neither one of those bones is kind of where they're, they're supposed to be anymore, right? Or not necessarily neither one of the bones, but you have a complete separation of the distal and proximal ends of those bones. So that's our dislocation. A lot of times that could be as a result of, you know, something traumatic like a... Um, Oh, let's see, on, uh, was it last, I don't know, in one of the football games I watched yesterday, uh, Justin Fields had a dislocation of his thumb, you know, so, which I can only imagine how painful that was, but, you know, in that case, he was tackled or whatever, so a lot of times there's some, some type of trauma associated with a dislocation. A subluxation is a little bit different. A subluxation is an incomplete or partial dislocation. Um... I worked a lot with sublux on um, with our stroke patients. So if you have somebody who, you know, they've they're a hemiplegic now, um, they might have lost complete function of one side of their body, or maybe they're just you know weak or have very very low tone on that side. So you actually saw shoulder subluxes uh, with some frequency. So what happens is you still have the weight of this extremity pulling on that joint. And eventually, because that person doesn't have the tone or the strength in their arm anymore to, you know, pull 
the their arm up or rested on their lap or anything like that, it'll actually just kind of slip out of its socket. Um, so we just have that partial dislocation. And um, so that's a subluxation. Again, that's the best example I can think to provide with that one because it is where my, uh, you know, where my experience <laughs> has led me to have the, to see that most often. And I always used to think it was so wild when uh, I would have stroke patients that were taking all these pain meds. Um, and I was like, gosh, what hurts? But it, it it's painful. So a lot of times it's, you know, shoulder pain associated with a sublux. So we prevent that by, you know, making sure that their arm is supported, that they, a lot of times they'll wear a sling just to keep, um, you know, keep the arm up in that functional position and prevent that extra weight being pulled, uh, you know, like, because if you're, I mean, think about it, if you just stretch your arm out and hang it there flaccid and imagine not being able to move it, you can even kind of feel that weight start to pull on your shoulder, right? All right, so then we have uh, muscle strength and tone. And in this case, again, um, lots of inspection and then also some palpation too, right? Um, so we might be asking them to, you know, raise their shoulders against resistance or, you know, do the, uh, when we think about our head to toe assessment and we ask people to press, you know, their feet against our hands or pull up against our hands. So we're providing some resistance, right? There's different scales that you can use to grade a person's strength. Um, a lot of times it's like a grade of zero to five where zero is this person, you know, cannot uh, contract that muscle at all to um, a grade of five being they have complete active range of motion in that joint and they can move it against full resistance. So when I put my hands fully on somebody's shoulders, they can shrug up against my hands. Or when I put my hands against the bottom of somebody's feet, they can, you know, push that, that gas pedal, right? So that would be normal strength uh, um, or a grade of five. Uh, when we think about the muscle tone, we can have a hypotonic, uh, which we, you know, might refer to as flaccid if we're thinking about a, um, you know, somebody who's had a stroke, but flaccid would actually be like atonic, which the A would be without. So they would have no tone in that muscle. Um, that would be like a grade of zero on their strength. So you can have low tone and then you can have hypertonic where somebody is almost at the level of having a contracture or even having a, a contracture. So hyper is going to be that more than normal tone. Hypo is going to be below normal tone. Finally, we have our skin and our neurovascular status. So skin might be kind of a funny one to think about with your musculoskeletal, but really what the skin does is it's giving us clues, right? So especially when we think about injuries to the area, if we're thinking about, um, you know, fractures and, and those kinds of things. So the skin might be just kind of cluing us in that, hey, there's a problem because we might see some discoloration, right? Um, if the skin has erythema or some redness present, uh, and if it's warm to the touch, that might be some inflammation in that area. If it is pale or kind of mottled or cool to the, the touch, we might suspect, you know, there's some, some blood flow issues because it's got decreased perfusion to the area. We might see bruises. Um, if it's an open fracture, we might see bone 
you know, popping out of the skin and, and, and that's a problem. Our neurovascular status um, checks, you know, that's looking at the pedal pulses, or I'm sorry, the pedal pulses. <laughs> that's looking at the pulses in the extremity um, and just assessing, you know, uh, I always think of it as kind of a CMS check where it's color motion sensation and color or the CMS could stand for um, circulation too. So checking those pulses, asking if people can, can move and asking if they can feel, um, you know, so we might kind of brush our fingers against, um, you know, if, if, if somebody, if we think their ankle is broken, we might kind of brush our fingers against the top of their foot or their toes and just ask them if they can feel that. We're going to ask them to wiggle those toes and we're going to check pedal pulses, right? So that's kind of it for our focused physical assessment of the um, musculoskeletal system. I hope that you found this helpful.